Welcome to the Ghost Gold Podcast. As always, I'm Andrew Passaro in here with the one and only Alex Moss. Follow us on Twitter at Ghost Gold Pod at Andrew Passaro at ASMoss92. Uh, Alex, I know it's super hot outside, but I got a fever. And it's a World Cup fever. This is the best fucking time ever. Just period. The World Cup is incredible. It's amazing. Uh, fact or fiction, I came home from the bar on Sunday and bought a Croatian jersey. You said you wouldn't do that unless they got to the semifinal. So, fiction? Fact. Ah, uh, you're quick on the trigger. Yeah. Hopefully that's the only place that you're quick on the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... It was halftime, and I was on my third beer of the Cro- at, at, at the Croatia game on Sunday. It was also like 110 degrees outside, and I was sitting by the door, so I was just downing beer because it was super hot out. But I walked home, and I was like, yeah, I'm buying that Croatia jersey. I'm bought in. I'm rooting for Croatia. I'm, I'm going. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm on the bandwagon. This is a bad time to get on the bandwagon because of how late it is in the tournament. But we are on to the quarterfinals. Uruguay, France, Brazil, Belgium, Sweden, England, Russia, Croatia are through. Uh, incredible week of soccer with, the ex- with a couple exceptions. Let's start at the top with a game we were both talking about as being one of our favorite World Cup matches of all time. France 4, Argentina 3. Griezmann with the opening penalty. Di Maria with an equalizer in the 41st minute. Early in the second half, Mercado takes the, takes the lead for Argentina. Pavard with with just an absolute beautiful goal that I have watched no less than a hundred times that on the volley, the curve, all of it, just it deserves like that gift deserves to be put on a television screen and put into a museum and just let it run for days at a time. Museum of football. Let's make it happen. The museum of football (laughs) brought to you by the ghost goal podcast. Mbappe in the 64th minute and in the 68th minute, and then Sergio Aguero getting a goal that wasn't even really a consolation prize because Argentina were out of it. Now Argentina had that one last chance that everyone thought for half a second because of how crazy this World Cup's been that they might score it and force extra time. But What a game, though. Just Yeah. Let's start just, with like the filet mignon right away. <laughs> this is the yeah. first match of the round. Everyone just looks around at each other and just thinks, well, that's the best match we're going to see over the next couple of days. Like, you're not going to top that. Uh, Kylian Mbappe has to be discussed now, I think, as n- no doubt a world-class player. What After what, what, you, what you saw him do... Just time and time again, not only to the front, uh, the Argentine backline, which I think a lot of people had highlighted as a source of uh, nerves for Argentina heading into this match with with uh, Mbappe's pace and the rest of the French team's pace, but the midfield you, you saw on the first goal or the first uh, in the build up to the first goal that little burst of pace Mbappe has in midfield to beat two Argentine midfielders to the ball. And then he just took off and you could just see him figuring out as he was taking each touch and each stride down the field and going past players. You could see him figuring out in his brain, like, Oh, I'm so much faster than the rest of these players. And I'm just going to knock the ball past them and just run onto it because they can't stop me and they won't stop me. It was absolutely amazing to watch a young player really figure that out in the moment in, in such a big match on such a huge stage. And uh, then we just saw more of more of what we're used to with Kylian Mbappe for his first goal and the second goal. 
uh, if you've watched PSG or Monaco last season, just those kinds of goals are just that's that's right in his wheelhouse. You offer him an inch of space, and he'll turn it into a mile. He was so great. This is the next Golden Ball winner, like, or this is the next Ballon d'Or winner, right here. You are looking at him. You are watching him play football for France right now. He has the potential to win Player of the Tournament. He was magnificent in this game. I know that PSG are paying a king's ransom for to get him this summer officially from Monaco, but it doesn't matter whatever price they're paying. At 19 years old, it is not enough. This kid is must-watch right now. And France is... We talked about it last episode. Alex picked them to say that he thinks they can win it. And you got to look at the at the teams that are left in the tournament. You look at France and... To get that dominating of a performance, it says a lot. And you know, we talked about how they'd only won all their games by one goal, that they hadn't really, you know, had that fantastic performance. Well, they had a fantastic performance on Saturday. And not to say that Argentina didn't have their moments as well, because they had moments where they were challenging this French team. This French team is exposable, but it's only to absolute world class players. It 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 does, you know, I, I do find it unfortunate that Lionel Messi and and also Cristiano Ronaldo are out this early in the tournament going out in the round of 16. But I, I also, I'm also kind of excited about it because I think it gives us the opportunity to look for and pay attention to some other stars. I and mean, we're, we're talking about Mbappe. We'll talk about a few guys on the Uruguay team, the Croatia team, etc. But it, this does kind of, you know... In the, in the world of an NBA that has LeBron and the Lakers and has the, the, the stacked Golden State Warriors, it is kind of nice to look around and say, you know, the World Cup Finals in 2014 was no Argentina one's safe. Germany. No one is safe. Like, we don't have, you know, even Brazil, which is quote-unquote a world power, hasn't really been a dominant team in this tournament yet. So... It's nice to look around this tournament and be looking at the next wave and to be looking at some different players that we've all said are good and, and but we haven't seen it at the world stage and to see France do it like they did this team is going to be very tough to beat and uh, they do have you know two tough matches to get to the final but lo and behold this French team is a behemoth and let's speak about another behemoth, and that's Uruguay, who got a 2-1 victory Saturday afternoon, knocking out Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal. Cavani with two great goals, the first one off an excellent assist from Luis Suarez and Pepe. Across field 1-2 uh, that they played to each other. Yeah. That's like stuff you see in FIFA. Yeah, and we mentioned I mean, FIFA far too much in this podcast, but you know, it's just this is one of our main ex- uh, things we do, right? <laughs> so absolutely. why not? It's Left playing a little crossfield one-two from Luis Suarez to Cavani. This podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for FIFA. Let's be real here. Uh, Portugal goes out. I, I, we both picked Uruguay going into this, and they were the they were the smart pick, quote unquote. When you look at that defense, who gave up their first goal of the entire tournament so far, uh, their midfield impressed. I, I knew that they had played well in the Russia match and had played well in the, in the match before, but I think if they stick with this this diamond midfield, they have the possibility of maybe beating France in the next round. We'll talk about that a little later in the podcast, but this four-man midfield is going, while 
you look at them and none of them are at top tier clubs. Torreira going to Arsenal <laughs> in the near future. But oh damn it! I thought you yeah. meant Arsenal. Damn it! That that was an excellent troll, but you didn't mean it. <laughs> uh, it is. It is because they're really not a top tier club. I was getting there. I mean, if the if your best midfielder is only playing at Arsenal, is your midfield really that good? In the case of Uruguay, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> that that's the rare exception. Uh, but that applies the, to like Switzerland too, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Granted, <still>, yeah. <laughs> their back line though is incredibly organized and going to be difficult to defeat and they handled portugal's attack very well uh they did not <laughs> portugal's allow... attack that's an oxymoron yeah, portugal had did... no attack uruguay did... man marked cristiano ronaldo out of the game and when he was man marked out of the game or double man marked out of the game uh the rest of portugal's players most notably bernardo silva and gonzalo guedish they weren't ready and able to step up and do something with the little spaces that, that were allowed for them. And you have to give credit to Uruguay. Like they, uh, a theme that I'm going to be talking about a lot, like probably in this episode and probably a little bit going forward is that the teams that I think are performing best at this world cup are the teams that are solid and confident of their identity, how they approach games. Everyone knows what their role is and whether that's like the ultra defensive examples like Uruguay and Sweden, who we'll get to later or the teams that like to be a bit more expensive, like Croatia. All those teams know their personnel, and they know they have a style that they've stuck to over multiple tournaments now, or maybe like during qualifying, and are well drilled in it. And they're committed to that. And Portugal weren't. Portugal's strategy has just been try to throw men behind the the, the ball to try and lessen the impact of starting Pepe and Jose Font at center back, so the teams can't get in behind them. And then hope that Cristiano Ronaldo can do something at the other end of the field. And that's worked for them. It worked for them at the Euros. But this is the next level up. This is the World Cup where some of the teams you may be playing in the Euros in 2016, like Hungary and you know Slovakia, there's some very poor teams that show up to that tournament. I'll admit, I, Ireland got into that tournament and didn't get into the World Cup. Like, we're one of those teams. But the, the next level up, you can't just rely on a too much of a simple strategy like that. You have to have a bit more depth to that identity. And Uruguay are probably the perfect example of that. Yeah, no, I, you, you literally nailed it. They, they had a strategy. They are great at that strategy. And they excelled at that strategy. And, I mean, yes or no, Uruguay can make, a, make the final in this. In this Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. I was going to say later in the pod when we preview France-Uruguay that I I think based off of just how well a team is playing uh, right now, maybe not not the results over this tournament, but just how well in the moment they're playing right now, I think Uruguay is probably the third best team left in this competition behind France and Brazil. I would agree. France and Brazil obviously have like a smidge more talent, but you know, Uruguay are right in that realm, probably at the top of teams like Croatia, Belgium, and England. They're probably the the best threat to France and uh, France and Brazil now. Let's move to one of the top teams that's no longer in the tournament. That would be Spain, who get knocked out by the host nation Russia on penalties. This was a one-one game on Sunday morning, and this was a tough watch. This was, I mean, we you know people have criticized the Spanish team that won the uh, 2010 World Cup for playing boring 1-0, you know, unpassionate soccer. and uh, While holding this, the ball for the entire game. 
while holding the ball for the entire game. And Spain pretty much did that against Russia. Uh, I retweeted something. I think it was from Craig Burley, and it was when it was going to penalties. And it was something along the lines of, well, now that we get to the to this shootout, Spain are forced to shoot the ball. And I'm like, I missed overtime and penalties. I obviously found out that it went to penalties and that they won. But uh, I think Spain was like, yes, I will commend Russia for for getting this far. But I think if anyone's more to blame, I think it's Spain for their style yeah. on on Sunday than it was for Russia being prolific at at points. Because yeah, Russia would get the ball off Spain deep in their their eighteen yard box and then try to counter, play a terrible second ball, and then Spain would have the ball again for ten minutes, rinse, lather, and repeat. That's what it was. Like it wasn't a great game. It was it was like one of those games where it's like. France Argentina is you want to show that to to your friend who's like why are we watching the World Cup why are you talking about this this is bullshit and you prayed that you sat them down in front of France Argentina because that game was incredible but if you put that them in front of Spain Russia yeah no shit they're never gonna watch soccer and want to watch soccer again this was an awful game uh, an own goal in the 13th minute and a Zuba penalty in the 41st and that lasted until 120 minutes before the Russians won on penalties. Uh, and, uh, you know, quick shout-out to our Manchester United fans. David De Gea, best goalie in the world. Can't save one Russian penalty out of five? I mean, if he was penalties, really the best. I will I will substantiate that penalties are not his strong suit. He probably should get better at them, though. Um, I think the more telling stat is, and I need to probably start a new segment called Alex's Paraphrase Statistics or something because I can't remember exact stats. I just know general observations that are drawn from them. But I think... David De Gea, of the 12 shots on goal he faced this tournament, he saved one of them. Yeah, that's not great, Bob. Yeah, that, that seems like too many. 11 goals. I don't think they conceded 11 goals. I think it's fewer than that, but maybe some hit the post. I can't remember. But yeah, not not great, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> that, that applies very much. Um, going off of the identity theme, what, what international squad has a more... Uh, established identity than the Spanish national team of late. Everyone knows that everyone, everyone knows that their team is drawn from Barcelona and Real Madrid and how it's based around Barcelona's style. And obviously that's how they won the world cup. And they obviously still have plenty of players that are capable of playing that style. But what really got me on the, the Spain bandwagon in the buildup to this tournament was how Lopetegui had sort of built off of that possession style and brought in a few more players and encouraged a bit more of a risk-taking culture within that framework of playing possession, passing football. He was starting Alvaro Morata a lot, and that's a player that I, I mean, maybe I sound like a bit of a homer here, but I still think he could have been of use to Spain, especially when you, you needed you needed players to make intelligent runs to sort of get on the end of little, little balls through pe- compact defenses. And Diego Costa is a good center forward in in that scenario but not in uh, but not in that way he's not making intelligent runs he's a battering ram he's getting the ball he's chesting it down he's putting an elbow into the defender turning his body and shooting and that just doesn't really it's not really conducive to how the rest of this Spain team has played for like the last almost decade so Morata's obviously not there so he's not an option uh, and the result is as you said a boring conservative passing Spanish performance where Hierro, Fernando Hierro, their, their caretaker manager, 
has just sort of he sort of retreated back to that safe place of let's keep the ball. At least we can't be scored on if we keep the ball. But you're you're neutering yourself and all these great attacking players going forward if you don't encourage those players to take some risks. Spain yeah. had of a thousand passes, they completed a thousand passes in ninety or not ninety minutes, a hundred and twenty minutes. Of those thousand passes, twelve of those were entry passes into the penalty box. Twelve. That's, That's not good enough. That tells the story completely of of how uh, of how neutered Spain's uh, possession was in over those 120 minutes. So you don't really feel that bad that they lost the penalty shootout and didn't go through. Like it, it feels good, honestly, to have the host nation still in the tournament at this stage. I, it adds a little bit of excitement. I'll give you that. I just don't want to see Russia do anything. Uh, I, there were a couple guys. On, I mean, I looked. I would agree with you on the Maratza thing, and I have a, a significantly less bias than you when it comes to Maratza, and I thought not bringing him was a mistake. Uh, I mean, David Silva, I thought, didn't have a great tournament, but with the season that he had for Manchester City, it makes sense that he was a part of it the whole time. Just There were other roster selections that I looked at, and I, and I said it to you before, when we were, we were beginning of the tournament, just this Spain team, when Carvajal and Alba weren't there, you take those two players away, and this this team is not a fast team, and I definitely felt like that hurt them at times because but it's not even have... about it's not it's not even about pace. Like pace isn't that big of an asset when you're in the position that Spain's in, where I, there's no space there's no spaces in behind anyway. So what, why do you need pace? You need you need to encourage those players like Isco, David Silva, Iniesta, who by the way didn't start this game. I don't get why you maybe wouldn't start him for like one of the knockout games and then save his energy for this one, but. Um, yeah, you need those players. You need to encourage those players to play one twos, get in behind the defense. It's only short bursts of speed that they need to get in behind and and feed off one of those uh, through balls. So, but yeah, they they didn't have Carvajal for this game, and you know you can't. I don't. I, I don't want to say that it was like too too crippling to them because they only conceded a penalty defensively, but they didn't look great offensively, and he's obviously at least somewhat of a factor in that. Oh, definitely. Uh, the Sunday afternoon game, like I said, another one that went to penalties. I was happy that we only had three games go to penalties. I, I generally like seeing these games end in either with 11 guys on the field. Uh, but Croatia beats Denmark. Uh, Matthias Jurgensen gets a goal in the first minute, and Mandzukic answers in the fourth, and then it went to penalties. Yeah, obviously – had Luka Modric missing a penalty in the, I want to say it was like 118th minute. It was the tail end of, of extra time. That was a heartbreaker for me. Uh, and then he goes up, steps up, and and does convert the penalty he takes in the game, uh, in the in the shootout. Um, Denmark was a tough team. Uh, Croatia, I definitely felt like, had better opportunity on the ball and def- better chances. Uh Kasper Schmeichel had an excellent performance. A lot of people are calling for him to leave Leicester now and go on to a bigger club based on this performance. Not to say that I don't think he could. Uh, Would you take him to Liverpool? Yes or no? (laughs) No analysis. Um, Take him to Liverpool. Yes or no? If you can't get Allison, No? No. No. And here's my background. He wouldn't be the worst option, actually. He he wouldn't be the worst option. They were linked to Jasper Sillison, who's the backup of Barcelona today, and I think that's a terrible idea. I would rather have him than Sillison. The my 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 explanation is as follows. I think that Kasper Schmeichel has a similar level of 
what he can max out at as a guy like Loris Carius. I think that the ceiling is pretty much the same. And to have two It's just the keepers, floor with Carius is just so much lower. <laughs> yes, it is. But if I'm going to go out and spend money on a keeper, I want to spend money. I want to I want to go all in. I don't want to go get a guy who's got a similar ceiling as to the guy we've already got in between the sticks. If you're going to go improve at the position, improve at the position. Don't get somebody else who's similar. What and I will say, what I will say about that before we we move on, didn't mean to get us sidetracked, but that, that's all well and good. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but from a position like goalkeeper where every interaction with the ball is, is like a make-or-break interaction where one mistake can cost you a Champions League final or two mistakes in Karras' case, um, I think it's far more realistic to just go for a more reliable option there. Someone who's not, who you know isn't going to make that big of any big mistakes on a big stage like that. Schmeichel won the league after all. That's what Liverpool were trying uh, to do. Yeah. I'm not I'm I wouldn't be pissed if we took him. I wouldn't be upset. I'd be, you know, it'd be a good signing. I'd get behind I, it. I just I get how you feel. He's been rumored I with just, Chelsea too. Yeah. And I, I and just, I'm not like a huge fan of it. I just think he's not Chelsea level. Like, you know, and you probably feel the same way about him, but you yeah. still want to be rude because <laughs> he's yeah, a good player. I, he's a good player. I just I don't think he's an elite Premier League starting goalkeeper i think maybe in france or maybe in in italy yeah sure stick him on one of those top tier teams but i don't think he's it in england and that's it's fine i'm biased uh i did enjoy this game it was it was a battle it was hard crazy first four minutes yeah it didn't always have the best chances uh but i i do think that i did enjoy it and i had a lot of fun watching it so that was important. Uh, let's jump over to Monday morning. Mexico 2. Bra- uh, Mexico. <laughs> Brazil 2. Mexico nil. Neymar with the first goal and Roberto Firmino in the 88th minute. Three minutes after coming on. I've been calling for him to get some time. And he finally is gets that his a, time. Is that a Liverpool delivers. player's first goal at this tournament? Um, No. I know Sadio Mane had a goal. Oh right, yeah, um, he did in like Mo the first Salah or second had game. Two, Salah right, yeah. Had two. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why I forgot the other two attacking players in your lineup. <laughs> My <yeah>. bad. <laughs> You're good. Uh, but this game has been clouded by Neymar rolling around, which the internet has killed him for, as they should. Uh, but again, this was a game that I watched, and I was not convinced as much by Neymar as I still was by Philippe Coutinho. Uh, no, no. Brazil, Neymar looked. Neymar he looked, looked. He looked busy. He, he was, was more. Busy. He was amongst both goals. He, he was. I mean, he scored the first, and he. I believe he paid. He played the pass for the Firmino goal in the second one. I think um, it was a shot, and it clipped the goalkeeper's uh, shin or something, and landed perfectly at Firmino. So it made it look like it was a perfectly squared ball to Firmino, but you it know, really wasn't. It all yeah. counts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do have a lot of confidence in this Brazil team right now because their defense has been fantastic. Paulinho and Casemiro have formed an excellent base to a midfield that is going to take a very good midfield and an offense to break down. Thiago Silva and Miranda have been... I mean, we talked earlier about Jimenez and Godin man-marking Cristiano Ronaldo out of the match. Those two, while having a great performance against arguably the best attacking player in football right now, 
they still are second best in my opinion to Silva Miranda. This this back line for Brazil is fantastic. This is such a well balanced Brazil team right now, which is why I'm sticking with them to win the tournament. Uh, if the thing is though that I need Brazil to have that attacking match that France just had, and that's what I'm missing from this team. They haven't been the most see. I don't need that. Prison. I don't need really? that because look at Belgium. They can score goals better than anyone in this tournament. Probably they can. They've got as the best the best striking options up there with uh, Brazil and France, like on paper. But you look at them the other other end of the field, and I don't really know anyone outside of probably like a few Belgian fans that I know, just people who are Belgian. It's obviously going to root for their team. I don't know anyone that really sees like a realistic possibility of a team like Belgium being able to to beat Brazil. Brazil do have those attacking players, but they understand that in the tournament format like this, you need to have that solid defensive base. And I was I didn't get to really focus on the game uh, while it was happening live, but I did go back and like watch it last night because um, I, I just want to have an idea of how Brazil are really playing in, in, in this tournament because they are obviously, as you mentioned, one of the favorite. I think it's pretty fair to say now that Spain and uh, Germany are out. And they do this the, the weirdest thing where it seems like they have so much confidence in just like the individual talent of each player in not only their back four, but the two midfielders, Casemiro and uh, Paulinho, that they, they, they just invite opposition teams to attack them and they just they have those six players obviously plus the goalkeeper sitting in a deep defensive shape they and with only six players back there there are holes and chances that can be opened up but they're so confident in the ability of players like Marcelo as you mentioned Miranda Thiago Silva and Casemiro and at right back Fagner there's they're so confident in those players to just individually, man, man to man, be able to match up and, and, and defend well enough that they're just willing to leave the other four players, Neymar, Coutinho, Willian, and uh, Gabriel Jesus, forward because they know that with all the players that those teams, Mexico, I'm, I'm talking about in this game specifically, those the, Mexico got some confidence. They started to throw bodies forward, and when they didn't take those two little half chances, they were able to create. Brazil were there waiting to pounce on the other end. And it, may, it took a little bit longer than you probably would have expected, but the second half was probably one of the the best halves of football for many of the favorites. And that's the second time I've said that about this Brazil team, the first being their second half against Serbia in the previous game. They they really seem to come into their element and and uh, start to dominate teams in the second half when the, when teams get a little bit leggy. Brazil continue to defend well, and obviously that front four are able to get that little bit extra space out on the counterattack to take advantage of. I will say Mexico, while losing this game, did not have a bad performance, I thought. I thought they performed admirably, and yeah, they didn't get on the score sheet, but they were threatening, and their counter was good. I I just knew they weren't going to be enough to stand up to the behemoth that was Brazil. The decision-making, hold up, the decision-making by Mexico... you can't understate how many good chances they had that if there had just been one more intelligent pass and, and solid decision made would have turned into a great chance that, that would have that would have been a, if not an easy goal then like a great goal scoring chance and you know it's it's all good being a confident as a player like Carlos Vela and taking shots from distance but you know there were a couple times where he just skied it into the stand behind you're just thinking oh Jesus man like 
retain the ball and make an intelligent pass. And you will get opportunities against this Brazil team. And you know, it's going to take a bit more of a mature opponent to take advantage of those things. Their manager after the game went full Klinsman and basically said that we need more players to go play abroad. I agree with him. Better team. I don't I agree. disagree with him. And I, I think agree, they have a better I agreed with Klinsman. He said specifically we need players to not play in the MLS, which shots fired. I love it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I agree with him, and I agreed with Klinsman at, uh, for Team USA. I don't disagree with it. I I want to see the best American players playing at the best level, and if that's in the MLS, then great. If it's not, then go where it is. Uh, let's jump to Japan, Belgium, which. Didn't have the best first half, but had one of the best second halves of the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. And actually, live on the Ghost Goal Twitter right now, at Ghost Goal Pod, you can vote on what was your favorite game of the first of the knockout rounds. And I listed two games on that tweet, and it was France-Argentina, Belgium-Japan. And as of right now, we've had this poll up for 31 minutes. Uh, Belgium-Japan is leading by 67%. To 30%, Interesting. which I'm really shocked about. I think part of it was the ending. Uh, we saw Japan at the beginning of the second half jump out to a 2-0 lead. They looked like they were firmly in control of the game. And then in the 69th minute, nice, uh, Jan Vertonghen <laughs> gets a goal. Uh, that a lot of people don't think was a goal because it was an arcing header that snuck Beyond the post, I thought you were going to say he was offside or something, or there was no, some was foul on the play. That. No, no, no. They, th- no, no, they no. didn't think he meant it. Yeah, they didn't think he meant it as a sh- as a as an attempt to head the ball on net. Regardless, it goes in. Five minutes later, none other than Mister returning to Manchester United, Marijuan Fellaini, signed a two year extension, uh, puts in a ball off a cross that not just was a cross. The fucking cross of the tournament from Eden Hazard. Yeah. That yeah. was a beauty. He found himself, it was like initially a corner. It got uh, cleared by Japan. Belgium worked the ball back out to Hazard, who had taken the corner, and he was in acres of space in the left wing. He looks like he's going to cut into his right and shoot like he has so many times at club and country level. And instead, he sh- like swivels his hips, turns out to his left, and whips this beautifully curved, driven cross right over to. Fellaini, who's a foot taller than any Japanese player, and he's just able to just dominate them and power it into the back of the net. It was beautiful to watch, and exactly what Fellaini was on the field to do. So then we go at the end of the game. Uh, Japan's on a corner, and we're in the 90th plus three minutes. Courtois saves, has the ball, distributes it. I believe it goes to De Bruyne. Rolls it out straight straight down the field to De Bruyne. No one's there covering De Bruyne at all. No one's covering De Bruyne. Terrible, mar- terrible defensive mista- mistake. Uh, De Bruyne goes down the field. Lukaku stretches the field and draws defenders out of the way. A who plays the next ball? Was it? Well, De Bruyne plays the. Uh, he starts the counterattack. Plays the ball onto the right wing to Thomas Mounier, the right wing back. That space got opened up by Lukaku making like a run from the right wing into the middle or central diagonally across the field. So Munier is in acres of space. He plays a ball back across goal in the penalty box that looks like it's meant for Lukaku. And as Lukaku is sort of occupying two defenders, he let he dummies it, lets it go past him, and it just 
lands perfectly at Chadley, Nasser Chadley's feet, who was another substitute who came on and scored the winner. It was a beautifully worked counterattacking goal, but completely indicative of just how little of a shit Japan gave about defending in this match. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. they got a bit lucky earlier on with some Belgian players hitting the post, just chances not really coming off for them, despite them looking pretty bright offensively. But then when Japan, to no fault of their own, obviously, they wanted to do this. They went up 2-0, and Belgium made their substitutions, bringing on Fellaini and Shadley, changed their game plan up a little bit to try and uh, take advantage of that height difference between the Japanese backline and Fellaini and Lukaku, and that worked for them. And they were able to hand that up for to overcome a two-goal lead. And I think it's the first time a two-goal lead has been overturned in a knockout game of the World Cup since, like, oh, I think like but, 82, I think it was. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember it's, the stat. It's been a while. You know, it's not like an obscene amount of time, but, you know, it's it's still it's still a while. It's, not, it's a pretty rare thing to see two teams that were able to get out of their group at the World Cup uh, one of them take a two nil lead and then throw that two nil lead away. Away, so yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a special game. Just bad decision making by Japan, uh, and surprisingly, you know, good substitutions from Belgium. I, I, you, not many people would have told me, oh yeah, Belgium's going to go down two nil and then they're going to bring on Nasser Chadli and Marouane Fellaini and win the game three two in regulation. I probably wouldn't believe you if I told you that. Well, no, it uh, seemed like a pretty obvious move. It was the common sense move. I the mean, Fellaini move makes sense, but I mean, Nasser Chadley has partic- Chadley has been there. He's been like one of their stand-in wingbacks. You know, they only really have Mounier as like an actual natural wingback. Wing yeah. They play Carrasco on the left. Carrasco wasn't really doing much, so they thought, okay, let's switch it up and bring in a player like Chadley, who's obviously more attacking. Uh, we're more concerned with getting forward and attacking. He's not really a defensive wingback at all, but which you know doesn't help Belgium too much. But we'll we'll get to that a little bit later in the previews. But you know, you obviously saw it pay off in this game against a team that wasn't too concerned about defending themselves. I haven't seen it on Twitter yet. I'm sure it exists. I haven't seen the Chadley goal set to the Titanic theme yet, and I really need it. Like like of all goals to be set to the titanic music i know it's super overdone at this point it's so overdone at this it's point it's so overdone i still want it i, I still want it. you just want it for every somewhat dramatic sports moment yeah pretty much yeah that's what i want i don't i don't think i'm asking too much uh let's go to today's action sweden gets a one nil victory over switzerland forsberg in the 66th minute and a red card for lang in the 90th plus four i'm not gonna lie to you alex i missed all of this game today i watched it at work uh, so not 100% focused on it, but just more of the same from Sweden. I, as I mentioned earlier when talking about Uruguay, they are a team fully devoted and committed to defending deep and not exactly counterattacking with any sort of pace and athleticism, but they have experienced, intelligent players who can sort of slowly work the ball up the field, all while kind of like straddling that line between it being a counterattack or not really a counterattack and them keeping possession. But then all of a sudden they play a direct ball from Forsberg to one of the forward line, like Toivonen or Marcus Berg and they're in and they're that, that directness They're They're all very adept at choosing the right time to be direct and the right time to sort of recycle possession. So they're a team that I was, they were one of the two teams in the group stage. Uh, the other being Japan that I sort of looked at and thought people are underestimating these teams they, are, again, are both very comfortable with themselves and their identity, 
and they're not going to get away from that regardless of what the score in the match is or uh, who the opponent is. And that works to their, uh, that works, uh, that works for them. They, 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 it's obviously working for Sweden. It almost worked out for Japan to get them into a surprise quarterfinal place. And, um, but we'll get to this later, but you know, Sweden are on the nice side of the, the bracket. Obviously it's, it's not the same side of the bracket as Brazil, Belgium, France, and Uruguay. So, I'm sure they think that they could get to the final at this point. They're they're playing well. They've haven't conceded a goal since the the Germany match, and uh, didn't concede in the match before that. So they probably think to themselves, "Yeah, we can we can hang with anyone." I agree with that. Uh, we'll get to Sweden in a little bit. Let's go to the last game: Colombia won, England won, England advancing on penalties. Harry Kane with a penalty in the 57th minute, and Yerry Mina in 90 plus three minutes. On an excellent header off a corner, um, this game was wild in the sense of the refereeing. Because Mark Geiger, who's an MLS United <laughs> States referee, had uh, a lot of people were out there tweeting like, "You just got Geigered. He's been a critical." I don't watch MLS every weekend. We all know that. I watch the Prem, uh, but Geiger has gotten killed in the past among MLS circles and today was one of those days there was a period where he handed out like five red cards five yellow cards at one point this game got chippy which I believe we called uh and it wasn't always there were periods where it was Columbia there was periods where it was England but the bigger story of this and I was hoping he would have played and he didn't but Hamas Rodriguez not making these not making the 18 today for Columbia was I think the the nail in the coffin for Colombia. I feel like if I wouldn't James go that Rodriguez, far. They almost won the game. <laughs> they did almost win the game, but I feel like if James Rodriguez is out there, uh, we're talking about a different result. This is like the first time since the 1996 Euros that England has advanced on a penalty shootout. It's the first uh, time in their history at the World Cup they've won a penalty shootout. Exactly, England, uh, England. England. Yes. Yeah. That's that that was a curse, and you know sometimes I feel like I might I try to get it across to people. Read by read in people, Americans, just how big of a monkey. It's monkey might not be the right word, but there is a somewhat curse on the English people and the English team when it comes to performing at World Cup specifically, but more generally, just tournaments overall. Uh, they've had a couple of great generations of players going ever since they won their last world cup in 1966, but they've just never been able to put it together. And this, this iteration of England is by no means the most talented, but we'll get back to identity. They have that identity and they've stuck to it in this tournament where I was kind of doubting them this time around was that they they haven't really been well versed and run in that, in this style of, high-pressing, attacking possession football during the course of uh, qualification. They they were kind of messing around with a few different systems, uh, rotating between a four at the back and a three at the back, sometimes playing really deep defensively with a five at the back. But now they just seem to have embraced the fact that they don't have the best defensive players. They have three or four decent enough players in Kyle Walker, John Stones, and Harry Maguire that they think to themselves – Let's try and accentuate the the pace in our attacking players and the, 
and their chemistry from having played at clubs like Liverpool and Tottenham and uh, what other team makes up? I guess I guess United, freshly young, and yeah. Jesse Lingard. And try and try and build off that chemistry from club level, and uh, and those teams all play a similar style. So don't don't try and put a square peg in a round hole. Just do uh, work to your team's strengths and. We honestly could have gotten one of the games of the tournament in this tournament in, in this match if Hamas Rodriguez had been healthy because this Colombia team, like you had an idea, they, they were going to go out and play defensively because we've seen them do that in tournaments past. They did it, uh, they did it to Brazil in the last World Cup, and they were absolute thugs in the la- in that game. Injured Neymar got put, left him out for the semifinal and broke a vertebrae in his back, like a really serious injury from just a really bad tackle. And they looked like they were sort of accepting of the fact that they didn't have enough talent to really play football with England today, and they just were going to try and outmuscle and be physical with England and and play defensively and just wait for that one mistake. They got that one mistake, or maybe they got one or two mistakes, and they were able to capitalize on it once in the ninety third minute, and they were just so close to it paying off. But you know, it's. Uh, I don't feel bad for Colombia going out. They, they they did this to themselves, and I felt the exact same way after that last World Cup against Brazil. Yeah, I, I'm really upset to see Colombia go home. I wouldn't say that. I, I've been actively rooting against England because I'm just sick and tired of seeing it's coming home all over Twitter. <laughs> Boy, and, you do not need to tell me. I would have. Like, I, I know I mentioned on the last podcast that Switzerland have been the thorn in my side this World Cup, but I would have given. Switzerland, like getting a win against Sweden and knocking my Sweden pick out, if it meant that England lost, I will give anything for England to lose. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty much there too. Like, I don't really want, and, and part of it's because I one number one don't think they're that good, but I'm sick and tired of the fucking Spurs fans talking about how Harry Kane's success means at any level of anything at a club level. Like I'm, I'm well, just tired of positivity from. I don't know. English I, I, I root. For, I actively root for Chelsea players at the World Cup, so I understand that sentiment. Um, I get that, but like, and Harry Kane's the I, leading goal scorer at the tournament. You know, six know, goals know. when it took Wayne Rooney three World Cups to get his first goal for England at a World Cup. So that's that's no mean feat. Yeah. All right, that wraps up our recaps. We're gonna jump over. We'll get to the previews right now. Friday. Doubleheader, Saturday, doubleheader. So why can't this be like Saturday, Sunday, and then the semifinals be like both on Wednesday? Because instead they have the semifinals on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the final the following Sunday. I'm just as a person, you probably do too, who works on Friday. I want to be able to no, watch I a World Cup quarterfinal. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm I do work Saturdays, so watching watching the Sweden England game is going to be difficult for me because that's part of that time is during my commute. So yeah, I have my own demon to deal going with. Going early, my that's my what I was bigger, doing I'm not for the eight a.m. matches. I was I'm going, going in early. A, I'm not going in early on a Saturday, Alex. I'm a human being. Okay, just, like. Yeah. Well, you got to see the match. Can you not like sit at your computer once you get there and watch the match? Oh yeah, I mean that I can do. That I can do, and, and also like fifty percent of my commute in the morning is above ground, so I can watch it on my phone, which nice. I've been doing. Uh, my shout bigger out to issue, is, yeah. Shout out, shout out to the J train. Uh, my bigger issue here is that the day after the World Cup is my birthday. Do you realize? 
Uh, the, the World Cup final is on the 15th, and I turn 25 on the 16th. Do you realize how fucking depressed I'm going to be on, on my birthday? Because we're not going to have any <laughs> soccer on. It's going to suck. You're going to be hungover. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, that's uh, I'm also off Actually, on Sunday. that's a I, lie. The World Cup final is at 11 a.m. on that Sunday. <laughs> don't. Don't test me, Alex. I will be hungover on Monday. Like, I, I promise you, if you want me to be hungover on Monday, I can be hungover on a Monday. That is not a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't want this to end. Like, like the whole World Cup be- going on has been my excuse of why I don't need to join the gym yet. Nope, can't join the gym. Got to got to stay in bed and watch soccer. Yeah, World Cup's on. This only I only get this every four years. I can I can I can lose weight in a couple weeks. It's fine. The, the World so Cup I'm, is also the reason why I haven't quit drinking yet. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, uh, I mean, I've been meaning to like quit drinking just for like a bit, but I'm just like, I just want to sit here and drink a beer and watch the World Cup. What's wrong with that? I should be able to do that. It's four years till next time I can do that. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wait, probably like, two because of the Euros in two years. But yeah, other than that. <laughs> definitely not till next summer when I'm totally going to watch the Gold Cup and root for the U.S. as they win that, even though it's a meaningless tournament. It de- that totally doesn't count. Let's get to the previews. Friday morning, 10 a.m., Uruguay versus France. This is going to be a treat this matchup happened pulled out you know that you know that gif where it's the guy like pulling out a popcorn and just sits back that is this game. yeah this is this is going to be excellent you've got an, you've got an unstoppable force against an immovable object in killing mbappe antoine griezmann against two of griezmann's teammates which are godin and jimenez you've got luis suarez and edison cavani up against Varane, up against Umtiti. Again, guys who have played against each other a bunch of times over the years, some of whom are teammates. This is going to be a great game. I'm, are you it, sure about that? I'm 100% I don't, sure about that. Don't promise the people something you, the, the, uh, you can't guarantee. That's fair. Because <laughs> this uh, game is perfectly capable of being a nil-nil snoozer and then going to penalties. It could, um, it could, the new, the midfielders, midfield could neutralize each other. That is, that is a good point. You do have a very good midfield going. You have two very good midfields that, that could frustrate the hell out of each other and prevent the other from, from making any, uh, chances, which I, I just hope is the opposite. I think, uh, I do think though that France's pace is going to be tough for Uruguay to deal with, even as good as they are. I just think that there are going to be more people running at that front, that Uruguay backline. They've really had to deal with yet in this tournament. You look at the teams that Uruguay's already faced, and it's been yes, they dealt with Portugal, but they also had Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. I think this is offensively their biggest test, and I do have Uruguay in a pool, but I'm going to take France in this game. I'm going to take France two one. I think this is going to be tight, and I think that the result that the winning goal is coming in the last fifteen minutes of this game. Uh, I just hope we get a great one. I can't seem to find the text that Javier sent me with his picks, but I'm going to do it based off of memory. And I think he said Uruguay for this match, but I'm with you. I'm still firmly confident in France, but I will say. I don't think they're – outside of Brazil, which would obviously likely be the next game, this is probably the hardest test France could face. They're looking at that opposite side of the bracket and they're just like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? We could have to play like Russia or like one of these teams or uh, or like Croatia if they'd finish second. Like Croatia are a good side, but 
matchup-wise, I'm sure France would much rather be playing against a possession-based team like a Croatia that likes to have a lot of the ball so that France can in turn take advantage of the Griezmanns and Mbappes getting in behind. There will be no such space for them against Uruguay. And when Uruguay do get forward and attack, they very rarely commit more than four, maybe five bodies forward. Everyone else is purely devoted to covering the runs of uh, opposing forwards and behind and making sure that any sort of late runs from midfield areas are accounted for. So it's not a great matchup. I, I think the the likely result is like a 1-1 that goes to penalties, but because I am favoring France, uh, I do think I, I think Giroud has a huge part to play in this match. This has to be his game where you come away thinking – of him in this match, the way we think of Mbappe in that last match, we just think, wow, that player really stepped up and grabbed this match by the balls <laughs> and was the catalyst for his team being victorious. Giroud's going to have to have that kind of match occupying uh, Jimenez and Godin uh, and allowing Griezmann and Mbappe to sort of go a little bit more unnoticed, making runs off of him. Uh, I, 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 too, have France 2-1. I think Javier didn't give me a score, but I think he said Uruguay. Brazil, Belgium, Friday afternoon is 100% the reason I'll be at the bar at 2 p.m. on a Friday. This Do you need a reason? 50-50. This game, Friday's games, in my opinion, are are far better than Saturday's games. Uh, Say that again. You could honestly. It's almost like it's the interesting side of the bracket. <laughs> you could honestly make the the case that Uruguay, France, and Brazil, Belgium should be the semifinals. That's that's the wild thing here. Uh, I'm going to take Brazil because I'm standing by my pick. I think that Brazil's, but I think that Belgium has a chance, and I hope this one gets high as high scoring as I put down my pick for. Um, I just think that Brazil is a more ironed out team. I think that Belgium, if I think Belgium to win, which is possible, they have to capitalize on Brazil's mistakes. They have to do what Mexico couldn't do, and they have the they have the tools to do that. When you have a Kevin De Bruyne, when you have a Lukaku who's played in the way that he has in this tournament, when you have Eden Hazard who again has played the way they have in this tournament, you have a shot in this game. And defensively, they're no scrubs. Like that back line is a good back line. I just think that Brazil is going to be able to get this done, but I wouldn't be shocked with the opposite. I think you wouldn't? could. I, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be absolutely shocked if Belgium won. After seeing them defend the way they did against Japan, the way they did against arguably Tunisia, even when they lost, even they won that game five two. But T- Tunisia got it back to two one. I think they got it to four two. There were a couple times where, like a Tunisia team that doesn't have anywhere near the caliber of player that Brazil or Japan has was able to slice open their defense because they, uh, as you mentioned, as a positive for Belgium when they were trying to come back from a two-goal deficit against Japan, though wingbacks aren't concerned with defending. It's great for going forward and attacking. It gives you great width and allows players like Hazard and De Bruyne and Mertens to sort of slide into those central areas that open up. But if, if Belgium aren't able to take advantage, I'll, I'll take what you said and take it like a, a step further. They're not able to capitalize on the half chances that Brazil allow early in the match that, as you mentioned, Mexico weren't able to take advantage of. They're not going to be able to go into this match uh, or go into the second half at nil-nil or down one-nil and really have any sort of chance of getting back into it. Because as soon as they open themselves up, 
they, they they've shown us over the extent of qualifying and in this tournament, there's only three players back there defending. And as I just mentioned in my praise of Brazil, Brazil routine, routinely just leave four players forward. And when those four players are as good as Coutinho and Neymar and Jesus and Willian, and maybe Douglas Costa if he gets a start ahead of Willian this time, there there's there's viable concerns there. The another thing that might work in Belgium's favor is that Casemiro will be postponed with a yellow card suspension. So, I mean, in steps Fernandinho, you don't miss too much there. That's <laughs> or Renato Augusto, depending on how Brazil won our perks this match, but most likely Fernandinho. Yeah, Augusto is more of uh, he's more of Paulinho's replacement, but. Yeah, it's, my one thing. My let me say this: if I think the one thing about the Japan result that could be big for Belgium is it is a humbling win in the sense that it's like, guys, we were supposed yeah. to trounce <laughs> Japan. Like we got to wake the fuck up and play like the world class power that everyone says that we are. I don't think that they do. I don't. Uh, this whole quote unquote the Belgian generation, I think, fails again. And I think they go out, and I have, but I have a three-two game. I have another thriller in in this one, and I'm taking three-two. I have three-one Brazil. Um, just one more thing I'll say about the the Belgium golden generation. If they want a chance to just shut everyone up about them, you literally have that chance in 90 minutes, and they all know that. At any World Cup knockout game against Brazil. And in any World Cup, it's just you know, players are salivating at the opportunity to be a part of that game. And I'm, I would love to see Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku all just have the, the game of their international careers. It would make me very happy. And even if that leads to them losing something like 4-2 and all those players play well and it's a great entertaining game, I think the, the world will stand up and applaud a team like Belgium for a unashamedly sticking to their guns because they do have, like you said, great attacking players and giving it their best shot against probably one of the best teams or the best team in the world right now. So uh, and I fully expect the game to be very, very entertaining. Roberto Martinez knows no other way of playing. Let's go to Saturday. England takes on Sweden at 10 a.m. Um, I'm going to be up front here. I'm going Sweden. Uh, Damn I it. Think- Come on, man. Don't take my pick. Uh, Javier, no, I, Javier is being the devil's advocate between the two of us. He keeps going with the like the opposite. He's got right, he's got me, England. I'll, I'll argue with England because I'm just picking the Sweden fluke team to go as far as they possibly can because I can at this point. You know, you got to have a dark horse somewhere. Even though I'm definitely going to pick Croatia in the next match, but I'll I'll argue for England. Uh, they got a big result against Colombia. They have. You talked about it earlier. They've stayed true to their identity. I think that they have the they have the best attacking player on the pitch in in Kane, who has stepped up and done everything that his team has asked him to do. Whether it's bury penalties, whether score goals, and they've been good in possession. My question about them against Sweden is: Are they going to be able to handle Sweden's press? Which are they, they going to be able do? Are they going to be able to handle that initial press? And are they going to be able to? break them down in the final third when they finally get there because it's it's Colombia are good defensively Sweden are great defensively like just as a team maybe not on player for player man for man Davinson Sanchez and 
Yerry Mina stick out a bit more as talents at center back than Victor Lindelof and uh, Andres Granqvist do. But as a full 10-man outfield team, I can't think of a team. Maybe Uruguay, probably. Yeah, Uruguay springs to mind. But those, those are the two teams that England will not face a, a better defensive team uh, in this tournament. So I fully expect Sweden to win 1-0. I, I expect yeah. a, a smashing grab, similar to what we saw today from Sweden against Switzerland. Switzerland uh, liked to play a little bit defensively themselves. So they, they may, perhaps they were a little bit out of sorts and out of their comfort zone uh, as sort of the aggressor of that match. England don't really have that. That won't have that issue. They would rather have the ball. Um I certainly could see them if they played at their very best uh, win this game, but I, I, I think this is the trap game. This is the this is the, the the what could have been end to a I'll say it a very good World Cup showing for England. I'll I'll show credit where it is due. They they've they've exceeded my expectations where I thought they'd get out of the group and lose immediately as soon as they faced anyone above the level of Tunisia and Panama, and they've. Prove me wrong, wrong to some extent. I just think that I just I'm picking with my gut here and not my head because I think the head pick is with England. They are the favorites in this, but I just don't want them to win, so I'm picking with I'm picking real Sweden. unbiased commentary here from the Ghost Call Podcast. Javier just, has England uh, going through. I think just he, as always. I'm not sure if he's fully committed to this pick because he does like to pussy out of picks a lot. Uh, Javier does pussied out of the Germany to not get out of the group pick. In our previews, I, I I challenged him to to put his to put his uh, money where his mouth is, and he he pussied out of it. Uh, but he's not. I don't think he's pussying out of his England pick to get to the final. He thinks England are going to the final. Well, let's jump to the team that they would have to take on, which would be either Russia or Croatia. This is Saturday, at two o'clock. Last game for the hosts. Surprise, surprise. Uh, that's just how things kind of broke down. Um, I'm gonna, I'm intrigued by this game. I have watched almost every Russia game, and I've been more impressed with them than I thought I was going to be. I really didn't think much of this. I didn't have them coming out of the group for them to get this far is impressive. They are going to have a different beast on their hands when they take on Croatia. They obviously, but they had a different beast in their hands going on against Spain. But I think the Croatia team has this level of fluidity right now. They're moving the ball well. They're getting good play out of the midfield. Modric is pulling all the strings. Mandzukic is throwing himself around. You've got Rebic, who's been very good, and you still have Perisic. I think that this Croatia team is going to come out and attack Russia more so than you saw Spain do, and I think that's why I have Croatia winning. I just don't think that Russia, while their defense has been good overall, I don't think that they're going to be able to hold down this Croatia team for 90 minutes. Um Will I do I think Russia can get on the board maybe first? Yeah, absolutely, but I I I'm sticking with this Croatia. I've got a feeling about this team right now and I have them in the final right now. So based on I'll say this, if Spain had won that game in penalties against Russia, I still would have taken Croatia. I've been more impressed so far in Croatia than I am of any team on this side of the bracket. So I'm sticking with I'm sticking my guns with Croatia, which is why I bought a Croatia jersey on Saturday on Sunday afternoon. So that's what I got. Yeah, I don't totally disagree with that. In that, I, I too have Croatia winning two one. Um, it's just whether Russia 
see the example that Denmark have left for them and uh, Iceland through much of their game against Croatia, even though they did lose, uh, of, of sitting deep and defending. Whether Russia are going to be fully committed to that as they were against Spain. Now, like as you said, Spain played a very large part in making that a little bit easier than it needed to be, and Croatia will probably allow no such luxury. So you'd think that if Russia are very committed to sitting deep and defending and basically trying to replicate that performance against Spain uh, in this quarterfinal, that that's probably their best opportunity with obviously the, the home crowd behind them. And Croatia, I, I want to say, I, I know you just praised them, but I want to say they're not exactly in the best of spirits right now. That Denmark game, they were not the better team, I, I didn't think. They had some good chances, but I thought Denmark over the 90 minutes probably outclassed them a little bit and probably are hard done by uh, losing that game. So it's not exactly the best time for Croatia to have to go up against that kind of team again. But where I'm not totally convinced that that's how the the game is going to play out is that Russia are, they're a proud host nation. I'll say it. They probably think higher of themselves than the rest of the world do in terms of their talent and their ability and, and what they can do on a football pitch. But they've scored on nine of their 12 shots on goal in this tournament. They, they're not, they're no slouches going forward. They'll probably think to themselves with, with Croatia still a good team, but lesser opposition than Spain. They'll probably think to themselves, okay, we don't have to be as defensive this time. We still need to defend. We still need to try and work on the counter, but we can afford to play it around a little bit uh, ourselves and, and, and try to, get at Croatia a little bit. I don't think that's too big of an ask, but in the process of doing that, I think that in turn will open up a world of hurt for Russia. I I think it could be as big of a uh, win as three, one or four, one for Croatia if they're really on their game, but I think it will end up being uh, two, one Croatia. I have two nil Croatia. Okay. I think Javier has uh, Croatia also, but might have to double check those picks. All right, guys, that wraps it up from us. Uh, look out for more stuff coming uh, when we get to it. We will definitely have some sort of semifinal look ahead in some capacity. But uh, World Cup fever is here. May it never leave us. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, at Andrew Passaro, at ASMOS92, at Ghost Gold Pod. See you.